Welcome to Hospitals in Focus from the Federation of American Hospitals. Here's your host, Chip Kahn. Good, timely, and appropriate health care depends for most of us on having good health care coverage. It is essential that we have a national policy that can assure all Americans an avenue to coverage regardless of their income or medical condition. The ACA, enacted in 2010, provides a framework to make coverage a reality for all Americans. But the framework, which has been much maligned by some, needs tending to as all major programs that serve the public. Unfortunately, the political environment has not been ripe for perfecting action on ACA. Quite the contrary. It is amazing the effort has covered as many Americans as it has, considering the strong headwinds from certain policymakers over much of the Act's life. The most recent headwind is playing out in the Supreme Court's case, California versus Texas. The court heard arguments on November 10th that focused on the constitutionality of the ACA's individual insurance mandate provision and related matters. At the hearing, the advocates and justices focused on the impact of the Congress's 2017 change to the ACA's individual mandate, the question of the plaintiff's standing to bring the case, and lower court decisions that found the entirety of the law was not severable from the question of constitutionality for the mandate. So, a significant Supreme Court ruling lies ahead between now and June of 2021. Hospitals have been tireless advocates for our patients in terms of supporting efforts to ensure health coverage and access to care. And we believe our patients will be best served by the pluralistic framework of ACA, which we have supported throughout its development and implementation. So, with the change in administration coming to Washington and the Supreme Court consideration of the ACA case, it is timely to consider the prospects for future health care coverage policy. Our guest is the perfect person to address these issues. Larry Levitt will discuss the implications of a change in the administration for health coverage as well as the Supreme Court case. Larry is the Executive Vice President for Health Policy at the Kaiser Family Foundation. Glad to have you here this morning, Larry. Uh, Thanks for having me, Chip. To get started, Larry, can you tell us a bit about yourself and the work you do at Kaiser Family Foundation? Sure. Well, I've spent, you know, most of my career in health policy, both in government and in the nonprofit sector. Sometimes I I describe my career as one of uh, working on failed healthcare reform plans, but uh, (laughs) with the passage of the ACA, uh, something actually succeeded. Uh, And at KFF, which is a, you know, nonprofit Institute focused on informing the public and policymakers and the media on, on healthcare issues. I oversee all of our health policy work. So, everything from the ACA to private insurance to Medicare to women's health to, to global health. That's really helpful, Larry. To set some context uh, for our conversation, uh, many people probably do not fully understand their healthcare coverage or have deeply ingrained feelings about the ACA and don't understand its role within our healthcare system. From your perspective, what kind of healthcare coverage should Americans have and how does the ACA play a role in assuring that? Well, I, I think, you know, often we in healthcare focus on uh, on access to, to healthcare in health insurance. And that is is certainly important. You know, if you look at what a comprehensive health insurance plan 
requires, it is certainly a a, a broad set of benefits. Uh, so, for example, in the individual insurance market before the Affordable Care Act, it was very common for plans to exclude benefits like mental health or substance use treatment, uh, maternity care, even prescription drugs. And, you know, it's really hard to call a health insurance plan adequate unless it covers this broad set of services. But I think as important as the healthcare services that a, that a plan offers, the, the cost sharing is, is also key. And I think we focus a little too much on whether people are insured or not, and not enough on uh, how adequate that insurance is in terms of what patient out-of-pocket costs are. And I think the ACA has, has done some, some real good things in that regard and fallen short in, in some ways. You know, Medicaid, which has been a key component of the ACA's uh, effort to expand coverage, you know, offers very comprehensive benefits and uh, minimal patient out-of-pocket costs. The marketplace plans are something of a mixed bag. I mean, for lower-income people, they qualify for cost-sharing reductions, which brings their deductibles and co-pays down quite a bit. But for middle-income people, you know, the deductibles uh, and, and premiums have been really high. And it's an, you know, a, a gap in, in the ACA as it exists now. So we will get to talking about the issue of perfecting the ACA, uh, which I raised in my introduction. But before we get there, there's a potential big roadblock, and that's this court case that has been brought against the ACA. I'm sure you listened to the ACA uh, hearing uh, the other day at the Supreme Court. What is your impression of the key issues before the court? I did listen to it. It's one side benefit of the pandemic is we actually get to hear these uh, Supreme Court hearings in in real time, which generally you can't do unless you're you're in the building. It's it's remarkable that more than a decade after the ACA passed, we're still looking at a potential existential threat to its very existence. And this this court case has uh, been a backdrop to our politics, to our elections for for two election cycles now you know, with a lot of debate over the future of protections for people with pre-existing conditions. You know, I think when I listened to the the hearing, I, I came away relatively optimistic, cautiously optimistic that, uh, that the ACA may in fact survive this threat. The basis of the case is that the individual mandate uh, in the ACA is unconstitutional. Back in 2012, the Supreme Court ruled that the mandate was constitutional because it had a tax penalty tied to it. Congress in 2017 set that tax penalty to zero. So the argument here is that without a tax penalty, the individual mandate is unconstitutional. And, and I think it's it's quite likely that the court will, in fact, agree with that argument and, and throw the individual mandate out. The really big issue is whether the mandate is can be separated from the rest of the law and whether the rest of the law gets thrown out along with the mandate and the, under the argument that it's not severable. And there it felt like a majority of the justices felt that was sort of a a road too far and that, in fact, the mandate could be thrown out, but the rest of the ACA could, in fact, survive. You know, one way of thinking about the significance of the ACA is let's look at the court for a second and, and just assume that they did strike the law. I mean, what would be the ramifications for Americans if on... June 5th or some date, the next day there was no ACA. 
the word that comes immediately to mind when you think about throwing the ACA out is chaos. Ten years in, the ACA is fully embedded into our healthcare system. And it's, it, it's not just about insurance coverage, although that is certainly important. The ACA has covered roughly 20 million people, probably more now with the pandemic and, and economic crisis. But, you know, the ACA also is central to how hospitals get paid under Medicare. It increased taxes. It offers free preventive services to everyone uh, with insurance. It put caps on patient out-of-pocket costs. It eliminated annual and lifetime limits. You know, it would be utter chaos if the ACA were precipitously thrown out. But it wouldn't just be chaos in our healthcare system. It would be chaos in our political system as well. I think we, we have an emerging consensus around some things like pre-existing condition protections, but not even close to a consensus uh, across the parties on how to accomplish that. So if the ACA were thrown out, I think it would dominate the political agenda for uh, for months, if not years. You know, one aspect of that that you've uh, talked a lot about on Twitter is that the pre-existing condition clause itself is not sufficient to actually protect individuals uh, for their insurance. Uh, could you spend a moment just outlining that matter that that we, you need all the pieces of the pie, in a sense, in ACA to really assure people that they have protections against being excluded for pre-existing conditions? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think people fully understand the, the sort of whole set of pieces of that pie that are required to truly protect people with pre-existing conditions, people who are sick. You know, one is guaranteeing insurance. That is certainly important, but it's by no means sufficient. You also have to control premium surcharges for people who are sick. In, in the individual insurance market before the ACA, it was not only the norm that people with pre-existing conditions got denied insurance, uh, but also that people who were sick got charged high premiums. So if you allow astronomical premiums for people with pre-existing conditions, it doesn't do any good to, to say that they're guaranteed insurance. But it's also about the nature of the insurance, what we started talking about, uh, you know, what benefits are required, are annual and lifetime limits allowed, meaning that someone who's very ill just has their insurance, you know, run out on them. Are insurers allowed to exclude coverage or have waiting periods for pre-existing conditions? You know, it was, not, again, not uncommon before the ACA that if you had a pre-existing condition, let's say asthma, uh, you might get covered, but the insurer would exclude coverage of your respiratory system. So that doesn't that doesn't do you much good. And then there's you know keeping the insurance market stable. If you just guarantee people with pre-existing conditions coverage, then uh, but you but you don't do anything to bring healthy people into the market, uh, you'll end up with what actuaries call a, a premium death spiral. Premiums will will just skyrocket. And the ACA had a a carrot in the form of subsidies and a stick in the form of the mandate to, to bring healthy people into the market. The stick's now gone, but I think uh, most people believe that the carrot was always the, uh, the more powerful uh, force anyway. Larry, so assuming that then that the Supreme Court does uphold the law and this pre-existing condition is issues that, that you're giving us the details on is so complex that even those who have long opposed ACA probably will, I don't want to say in their opposition, but, you know, sort of let it go. Let's move on, I think, then to the future. And we have 
January 20th, a new administration coming in. Obviously, uh, they have a different attitude about ACA and healthcare coverage. What do you think the new Biden administration can do administratively to, within the framework of ACA, to increase the possibility of coverage for more Americans? President-elect Biden has a, has a sweeping health care agenda. If Democrats do not take the Senate, which hinges on two uh, runoffs in January in Georgia, then the administration will be left with largely with administrative actions. You know, things like a public option, like expanding the ACA subsidies, uh, which, which Biden has proposed, require Congress. I mean, those will be tough with, uh, with Republican control of the Senate. But there is a lot uh, the Biden administration can do administratively. Uh, so things like uh, reopening the enrollment period uh, in the context of the pandemic and the economic crisis, letting people who are uninsured sign up even after open enrollment expires in mid-December would help. I think increasing outreach and consumer assistance, the Trump administration cut ACA outreach by 90%, cut grants to navigators, which help people enroll by over 80%. I would expect to see the Biden administration reverse those cuts and maybe even expand outreach beyond uh, what was done in the Obama administration. And that, you know, that just creates a very different environment. You know, the Trump administration has has worked to undermine the ACA and has certainly not worked to um, inform people about their options, uh, especially in the middle of a pandemic and an economic crisis. I think we'll see a very different posture from the Biden administration than the past few years in terms of state flexibility. Uh, the Trump administration has given states quite a bit of flexibility in Medicaid and in, in the ACA to restrict or limit coverage. I would expect the Biden administration to reverse those guidelines and, in fact, look to states to try to expand coverage through through waivers. And then I think there will be a big debate around uh, short-term insurance plans. These are plans that the Trump administration expanded. Uh, they don't follow any of the ACA, ACA's rules, including protections for people with pre-existing conditions. You know, I think the Biden administration may be hesitant to take coverage away from people that they've already bought, but will look to restrict enrollment in those plans going forward. Larry, even if the Congress is divided so that a major change in coverage public option is not on the table. There still may be the possibility of technical changes and other kinds of ways to shore up and make uh, ACA, in a sense, more, more potent in terms of its affordability aspects for premiums and consumers. If you were going to do a legislative agenda that didn't go the whole way but dealt with a lot of the details, and, and going back to my point in, in my opening remarks, in a sense, perfected the act within the framework. What what would your agenda be? And I don't know if it'll be possible that Congress would take it up. But what would what would your agenda be? Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I mean, you you know as well as anyone that you know even in a divided government, things can still happen, whether it's under the radar or as part of larger budget deals. And I think we may start to see a, a softening of the just blanket opposition among Republicans to anything ACA-related. And there are some some maybe modest steps that the parties could agree on. So, for example, there's something called the family glitch. This is where uh, families with employer coverage face very high premiums but are locked out of the ACA marketplace and, and the subsidies to help them afford insurance. Fixing that family glitch might be something that 
that people could agree on. You know, maybe even uh, modestly increasing the premium subsidies under the ACA. You know, the group that really struggles right now is the middle class. They make too much to qualify for ACA subsidies, uh, but not enough to truly uh, afford insurance on, on their own. You know, that's a constituency that should appeal to both parties. You know, and, and I think there will be a discussion of, of folks caught in the coverage gap. These are people in the dozen uh, states that have not expanded Medicaid, uh, who have incomes below poverty, and you know, don't make enough to qualify for the ACA subsidies, but make too much to qualify uh, for the pretty stingy Medicaid programs in, in many of these states. You know, maybe there are some sweeteners that help these remaining states expand. Federal government now pays 90% of the cost of the Medicaid expansion. Maybe that could bump up to 100% to entice some of those states in. Or maybe there's some backup mechanism to, you know, to cover these, these very low-income folks in these states. Well, this has been very, very helpful, Larry, and we just so much appreciate you joining us today. And I think we've hopefully given our audience a good sense of where we are with the ACA, as I mentioned, the current headwinds, and maybe the possibilities of improving coverage for more Americans as we move into a new administration. Thanks, Chip. I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks for listening to Hospitals in Focus from the Federation of American Hospitals. Learn more at FAH.org. Follow the Federation on social media at FAH Hospitals and follow Chip at Chip Khan. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Hospitals in Focus. Join us next time for more in-depth conversations with healthcare leaders.